and see how it affected uh, government, uh, our lives, um, you know, just uh, uh, what was disseminated, and see if it's supporting a dominator society or uh, or a partnership society. Well, uh, I have good and bad news to report. Uh, I found it really interesting this week uh, in the Huffington Post and on the CBS Morning News, there was some some great stories actually being put out by the mainstream media. Uh, The first one uh, in the Huffington Post, there was an article talking about it's time to acknowledge that parenting is real work. And this is the work of Rianne Eisler right now, uh, talking about the work women do in the home should be valued. And uh, anyway, this... um, uh, you know, this story on the news cited, and uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry, in the Huffington Post, cited an annual letter uh, about the Gates Foundation's priorities by Melinda Gates, focusing on the unpaid emotional and domestic labor of women all over the world, and explained why acknowledging this unpaid labor gap is so important for gender equality. Now, that's a real change in the news. Um, I don't know about you, but I've never heard many people outside Rianne Eisler and her circles talking about that sort of stuff. Uh, Then in the CBS uh, Morning News this week, there were two uh, other stories that uh, perked my ears up. The first was... um Uh, Not a surprise too much, but they're saying on mainstream news, uh, traditional gender roles are changing. They uh, discussed uh, the book by Jack Myers called The Future of Men, uh, where he says uh, male dominance is fading. Men are are being out-earned by women. 40% of men are getting college degrees, while 60% of women get college degrees. And children that are growing up in fatherless homes are not learning traditional male roles. Well, you and I probably think that's a real good thing. (laughs) Uh, Then the other story uh, on the CBS uh, Morning News this week, they highlighted the work of Rebecca Traster. She's a New York Magazine writer who wrote the book All the Single Ladies, talking about the rising influence of single women. She called it a new pattern for adult female life. Uh, She said they're independent, unmarried by choice, and now here's the kicker when it comes to politics. She said they vote Democrat, which means social policies will be changing. And she threw in, all on her own, I'm not making this up, uh, right there on national TV, I almost uh, fell off my chair, that they're mostly all leaning toward Bernie Sanders and the upcoming election. Now, we've been hearing that, uh, that millennials are for Bernie, but, uh, uh, you know, here, you know, she was saying it and, uh, you know, talking about uh, women are, are choosing a different type of lifestyle for themselves. Well, um, so uh, we know they're voting for Bernie Sanders, and uh, that's a great segue to the bad news. Ways the mainstream media is biased and no longer professional in their journalism as the news outlets owned by corporations with a conflict of interest try to control the narrative of what they want the public to think and believe, thereby hoping they'll follow through and act accordingly based on what the established media outlets feed the public. And we call that domination and power over others. The BBC was talking about this as they watch what's going on here in America. And there was an article that just came out uh, yesterday from a company uh, from DecisionData.org that proves what uh, I'm about to tell you. 
uh, it's, it uh, did a study completed in January revealing, for instance, that Senator Bernie Sanders received um, 29,500 mainstream media mentions in, from June to January compared to Hillary Clinton's 87,700 and Republican frontrunner Donald Trump's 183,000 mentions. Okay, so that was Bernie with 29,000, Hillary Clinton with 87, and Donald Trump with 183. Is it any wonder he's doing so well when he's getting all the free media? But anyway, um, if you've been listening, uh, the Bernie Sanders narrative is also very skewed, mischaracterized, and marginalizes Bernie Sanders. Uh, In one example, his... uh, how Chris Matthews, uh, the hardball program on MSNBC, whose wife, by the way, is supported by the Hillary Clinton machine uh, because she's running for Congress. Well, Chris can often be heard touting how scary socialism is without bothering to explain socialism and democratic socialism are very different things. Equally interesting, uh, two other stories about uh, with the failure of mainstream media uh, as they dominate rather than um, show un, uh, you know show a lack of bias or partnership um, and one just happened last night. Uh, the event was uh, revealed in video by independent media, but of course not on mainstream media. It showed how Bill Clinton and the mayor of Boston, a Hillary supporter, closed down several polling places with their entourage for hours, preventing people from voting when voting regulations clearly say no campaigning within 150 feet of polling places. That's clearly exercising power over and abuse of privilege. And uh, the campaign, the Hillary Clinton campaign, got no more than a slap on the wrist. Well, you know, there's a petition uh, coming together on change.org that uh, already has 60,000 signatures and growing by leaps and bounds every minute. But... um, These dirty tricks were a problem because it was known how close Massachusetts was going to be in the voting, and some of the areas that got closed down were thought to favor uh, Bernie Sanders. Now, uh, ditto in Iowa and Nevada, where voting was close and shenanigans were reported in those states as well. Um, But, uh, you know, you only heard about it on uh, independent media. You really didn't hear much, if anything at all, on mainstream media. Now, the second thing uh, that independent media uh, told us about and mainstream media totally neglected was last Saturday. There were massive rallies around the country for Bernie Sanders, and there was a literal mainstream media blackout. So we can see uh, the establishment with their finger on the scale and acts of domination and power over rather than uh, being unbiased, which would be more of a partnership type of way to be in the world. So uh, this all actually fuels the polarization between progressives and the establishment on the left when they don't uh, just think um, you know, the system is rigged. They actually see the game is rigged. And... Um, I wanted to switch over to the second chapter on uh, 
you know, that we studied this week on uh, partnership in the international community. And one of the action points that uh, we could focus on was how religion can perpetuate domination or partnership. Uh, to do that, I thought I'd take a page out of my ministerial handbook and teachings about the divine feminine as deity archetype and ideal, uh, as well as my work sponsoring Joseph Campbell Mythological Roundtables for Continuing Education. So I'm going to share a few points from a paper I gave at the Council for the Parliament of World Religions this past October when I talked about how goddess mythology, if we rethink it, reawaken it, and give ourselves the power and permission to reinterpret it, while discarding the distorted patriarchal versions of goddess mythology, how it can actually serve as another teaching aid in liberation theology, and that's theology with an A for both men and women. It's a spirituality that can set us free, thereby bringing on a world of partnership rather than perpetuating the oppression, the exploitation, and the dominator pyramid Rianne talks about um, in The Chalice and the Blade and so many of her other books. So here were just a couple brief ideas that were in that paper I gave to the uh, to the Parliament. One uh, was that when we look at Mother Nature, who many of us see as Gaia or Goddess, uh, it teaches us that where ecosystems are not in balance, there is chaos. What is nurtured survives, what's neglected withers, and evolution prefers altruism to selfishness. So right there we can see some metaphors, some allegories, um, some um, signposts for how we might be in the world. Uh, In balance, taking care of one another. Uh, altruistic, not selfish. And if we don't think our uh, our myths, uh, our personal stories, our um, spiritual stories are powerful, think about the Garden of Eden myth and um, what that's done to females for thousands of years. Foremother feminist Merlin Stone characterizes it as possibly the first piece of political propaganda demonizing woman and the divine feminine. So uh, that points to the idea if we replace the stories with new stories, then we um, change the world because our, our myths, our stories shape our culture. Uh, one of these myths, an example of, of that would be using the Inuit myth of Sedna, uh, showing, uh, which shows uh, how Sedna is, is a gatekeeper between humanity and the creatures of the sea. Uh, She ensures people who need the creatures of the sea for food, clothing, tools, uh, that they take only what they need in sort of a reciprocal partnership arrangement. But if they get greedy and take more than they need, they're cut off and suffer the consequences. They starve. Uh, You know, a tale can, uh, that can, you know, this is a tale that can be used for environmentalists and against uh, ideas of, uh, or practices of greed and exploitation. Then there's the myth of Demeter and Persephone. Uh, We know myths change over time. There were actually egalitarian myths of Demeter uh, and pre-patriarchal myths of Demeter, some without Hades and his abduction theme uh, even in the story. Uh, So today the myth with Demeter and Persephone alone in the story is an allegory or metaphor for better relations between daughters and mothers and women in general so that they get away from what Phyllis Chesler writes about in her famous book, Women's Inhumanity to Woman. Uh, Two other points I made uh, in my 
presentation to the parliament were uh, the Dalai Lama said it would be Western women who would save the world. I countered that to say that um, that leaves out indigenous people, that leaves out wonderful men. I think the better way to say this would be uh, it's not it's not women who Western women who are going to save the world, but maybe sacred feminine ideals or liberation theology that will save the world. And finally, uh, it is so important that we reconcile our spirituality and our politics. Uh, if we are eco-feminists, uh, for instance, we certainly can't vote for people who don't recognize climate change uh, or care about the environment. So to close. Um, you know, I could go on, but time is short. Uh, I think you get the idea that whoever controls the narrative has an advantage to sway public opinion, and that responsibility should be taken seriously and not used for domination, power over, and control, especially if it's to keep the few at the top of the dominator pyramid in power and the rest of us slaves to the machine. So, uh, you got a chance to hear it here first, and uh, I hope uh, hope you enjoyed that. It kind of helps me out, too. I get to sort of practice it uh, on you a bit. So uh, please uh, feel free uh, to, uh, to send in comments if uh, you liked it. If you don't, if you have anything to add, uh, you know, I always love to hear from you. And um, also a reminder, uh, stay with me uh, after tonight's interview with uh, Shauna or a night. I have some other important stuff uh, coming up, uh, other important news I want to share with you. So uh, don't, uh, don't go away after uh, our interview, which is going to be starting right now. Uh, let me introduce you to tonight's guest, uh, Shauna Ora Knight, uh, by way of her bio. Shauna is an artist, an author, a ritualist, a presenter, a spiritual seeker. She travels nationally offering intensive education and the transformative arts of ritual, community leadership, and personal growth. She's the author of The Leader Within, Ritual Facilitation, and Dream Work for the Initiate's Path. She's co-editor of the Pagan Leadership Anthology, which I am very honored to be uh, a part of. I submitted an essay to that, and it's just uh, out uh, right now. It's brand new. We'll talk about that, and she'll tell you uh, more about it and how to get a copy. Uh, her writing is included in several blogs and pagan magazines, and her work appears in numerous anthologies, including uh, Pagan Consent Culture, Bringing Race to the Table, uh, Stepping Into Ourselves, and More. And uh, she's also the author of urban fantasy and paranormal romance novels, including, this is one title that caught my eye, Werewolves with Chocolate, also Werewolves in the Kitchen. I kind of get the idea Shauna likes werewolves. So, Shauna, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, I know your your throat is a little scratchy tonight, so thank you for <laughs> uh, being for being a little brave and uh, uh, and uh, extending yourself uh, when I know you probably would be uh, you'd rather you know sit there with a hot cup of tea and uh, you know just be a vegetable in front of the TV or something tonight. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate that was you, the, uh, being... that was yesterday. Well, yesterday I just basically tried to sleep through the worst of it, and uh, I seem to be coming out of it okay. This is actually the second time I've been sick this winter, which is unusual for me. But um, I uh, went this part of particular time of year. Um, I just came back from two conferences back to back, so um, I'm not surprised that I got sick after that. <laughs> 
Yeah, you really extended yourself, and you were around an awful lot of people. And uh, I don't know if you flew, but that air in those planes, you know, you never know how they scrub it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I flew. Well, I, the, the two conferences are PanseaCon, which is in San Jose, and uh, Convocation, which is in Detroit. And so for PanseaCon, I did fly out to the Bay Area because um, that just driving that would be kind of crazy. Um, and then Convocation, I drive to. And uh, I actually I didn't get sick until about a week after I got, well, maybe not, not quite a week, uh, but after I got home. But, yeah, it just, it's just, um, you know, the, the conferences are pretty tiring, and I had all of, you know, 20 hours off in between them, so. <laughs> yeah, so you were burning the candle at both ends. No wonder. I was. Uh, your, was. Yeah, your immune system just uh, said, I need a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, I mean, it's it's a labor, I would definitely call it a labor of love because it's, um, you know, the, the bigger pagan conferences and festivals are, are it's one of the few places where I can get access to a lot of people interested in leadership training. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because, I mean, when you think about it, in, you know, in the kind of alternative spirituality community, you know, pagans, goddess spirituality, um, you know, that, that kind of, you know, if I can call it a section of, of the population, um, you know, there's only so many people within even that that are necessarily interested in learning, you know, leadership and community building skills or interested in learning how to better facilitate rituals and ceremonies. So um, yeah. it, it really it really is worth it for me to do these, you know, to do those events because it's, um, you know, there's just there's lots of folks interested in, in building those skills, which is great. Yeah. Well, and, and, and yeah, you know, it's so much easier when you have a, a bigger pool of people to tap into uh, because, you know, what I find here locally, even in a city as big as L.A., um, you know, you have a lot of people who are willing to go create their own little uh, fiefdom, so to speak, but, you know, to, you know, and they end up with maybe, you know, five or 10 or 20 people, but to actually grow something bigger than that, something more substantial that gets out of their living rooms, uh, you know, something that can, that can actually be in a force, you know, maybe be a force in the world for good. Um, it's hard to create that bigger overall community, I think. And um, unfortunately, what I have found, you know, at like pagan fairs and things like that, you know, you can get a, a talk on pagan leadership or pagan ethics and you know you're lucky if one or two people show up but man are they going to fill those classes on you know doing uh, spell work for love and money <laughs> you know you're not going to find a room big enough <laughs> it's true um, yeah and- it's I kind of put on my my anthropology hat sometimes when I'm at pagan events like this because I kind of you know I take a look at, at not just which presenters are getting lots of for lack of better words, butts in the chair. But uh, mm-hmm. I also, I, I kind of take a look at, like, what are the different um, topics being taught and what, you know, what draws people. And, and you're absolutely right. Like, if somebody's doing some kind of a, you know, phenomenal cosmic power spell work thing, oh, you know, tons of people show up for that. Whereas, um, I mean, I, I, I will say, you know, it's, I do see more people coming to the pagan leadership workshops these days, um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's definitely changed over the past decade. It's it's definitely a more um, interesting topic. I think it's becoming a more well, interesting good. topic. But 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 you're absolutely right that you know the super co- phenomenal cosmic power spell work workshops are they almost always are going to draw 
a far bigger crowd. Well, and you know, I'll tell you. I mean, I'll be honest. I, you know, I don't, I don't take it as, personally as a reflection of of my work, certainly. But you know, I couldn't even get PantheaCon to accept me as a presenter, mm. um, which which blew me away. You know, I wanted to talk about you know, uh, you know, pagan, uh, you know, a god of spirituality for a more sustainable future. Some stuff like I was just talking about using goddess mythology as. Uh, you know, sort of a, a template to show us how to be better people and grow better communities. None of those talks were even taken, you know. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, uh, I'm glad to think, you know, to hear you're, you're seeing it change. But I took that as an indication that, you know, it, it wasn't about doing spells. It wasn't about dancing and chanting. And it wasn't about fluff. You know, uh, it, so uh, you know it, it was you know probably came across as maybe boring. Um, so you know, uh, what do you do? You know, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, but you know maybe you know maybe uh, I, because I mean that that's sort of what we're talking about tonight. You know, we have to you know uh, get beyond. Um, uh, you know, people becoming pagans simply because the rituals are cool and they want to come to be entertained, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I want to get to the point where I'm part of a community that's uh, full of activists that are out there on the front line, um, you know, uh, protesting to protect the earth and human rights and, you know, I've I've had conversations with the late Demargo Adler, and we had to lament the fact that um, you know uh, not enough pagans are out there doing this. You know, they it's, yeah. it's in short supply, leading me to the conclusion that maybe pagans, um, as, as a spirituality, as a as a spiritual community, we are not mature yet. You know, maybe we're still like in junior high. But I would I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's definitely. I mean, I I think paganism is definitely going through what I would what I would absolutely call cause call some growing pains. Um, one of the things that I mean, there's so many different things that I'm seeing. Like one is um, there's a lot of pagan elders who they've been doing this for a really long time, and some of those elders are passing on. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those some of those elders are. Um, holding on to the reins of power with their white knuckled fists, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. you know, there are new leaders, you know, emerging leaders, younger leaders who are saying, hey, you know, I'd like to to learn this stuff. I'd like to step in and help, and that's being perceived as a threat. And there's that mm-hmm. whole you were mentioning earlier in the show the whole power over dynamic, and that absolutely happens in the pagan community. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Um, there is so much scarcity mentality in the pagan community. And I, I think a lot of that is because pagans are a minority uh, religiously, I think, and, and quite frankly, a lot of people come to paganism because they just don't fit. You know, they, they see mm-hmm. behind the curtain, you know, they, 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 they don't quite fit with the rest of the world. But what happens is like we end up, we end up with this kind of scraps from the table mentality as far as power mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, and, and I think that's also why, you know, going back to the um, Phenomenal Cosmic Power Spellwork workshops, you know, most, I can't say most, what I can say is a lot of the folks that I meet that are new to paganism, um, what they're searching for 
and they don't necessarily put it in words like this, but they 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 want spells to help their make their lives better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I do a workshop called Finding Your Personal Magic, which lots of people like to come to that one because it sounds like oh, you know, we're going to learn some crazy intensive spell work, and, and we do, but it's actually it's it's leadership work in disguise. Um, mm-hmm. It it's uh, but it's. You know, first I have, you know, I talk with the group about what does magic mean, and I, and I see a lot of people come to the definition of magic, and they they see magic as I light some colored candles and I burn some incense, and then I don't have to do any work. You know, right. like it's, it's a perception that that magic means you didn't have to do anything. And my definition of magic these days is all the work I did behind the scenes that nobody else saw. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know what that makes me think of? You know, I, I grew up a Catholic, and maybe being part of these other more traditional religions has made people think that way. Because, you know, growing up a Catholic, you just were told that uh, you just pray to Jesus, and Jesus is going to, you know, help you. Uh, well, I shouldn't say help you. Jesus is going to make things right, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was never the part in it where you heard, um, yeah, you can pray to Jesus, but you also have to send out resumes if you want a job, you know. Right, um, right. You know what I mean? It was like this, it was going to magically happen without a lot of effort, and, uh, you know, because this higher power was going to, you know, grant you uh, a miracle, so to speak. And mm. I want, and and maybe part of it is laziness, you know, uh, but part of it might be that they're, you know, have sort of been colored by that kind of thinking growing up. I, I you know, I, I, I'm curious, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely, um, you know, the, the dominant culture definitely has an impact on us, whether or not we identify as being part of the dominant religions. Because, I mean, I, I know for myself, I wasn't, I was not exactly raised Christian. I was raised kind of hippie. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I can put it that way. Um, You know, my parents were both into kind of woo-woo stuff, and they were like, if you want religion, you go find it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I did. But, you know, know, I think there's just so much of this power under thing, and I think a lot of it is, you know, I see, you know, the dominant culture, it's a culture of shame. It's, you know, it's all the reasons why you don't look good enough and why you need a new car and you're only good if you're making this much money. And, you know, it's it's really, um, mm-hmm. you know, shame is just stacked up. And I think that a lot of people, particularly women, but a lot of people that I see coming to paganism, you know, coming, you know, connecting to, um, you know, that something else is they're they're looking for that self-empowerment and they just don't quite know how to get at it. Mm-hmm. And... You know, and that's and that's something that I think is really, really important from a leadership perspective because, uh, see, the I mean, the way I work with leadership is that you know anybody who is volunteering to help out at a pagan event or, you know, part of a group, build a community, any anything you're doing within that is leadership. If you're sweeping the floor, if you're doing the dishes, that's leadership. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, digging the candle wax out of the you know, out of the floor where it's spilled, that's leadership. If you're the one leading the ritual, that's leadership too. If you're the one organizing the group, if you're the one teaching the classes, that's those are all different types of leadership. And um, right, it's you know it's very much a servant leadership model. Uh, but it it 
you know, it does require people to actually show up and do that work. Um, yeah. And we we desperately need because again, you know, we're talking about you know minority spirituality. We're talking about you know how you know whatever percentage we are. I think I think you know other other religions comes under something like two percent of the population. So mm-hmm. you know, there's there's only so many doers within that population. There's only so many people who just, you know, some people like I'm I'm one of these. I love planning events. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but I have that bug. I like planning events. And you know, so I mean and some people just they have no desire to to plan an event and they you know, other people have not only do they not have a desire to plan an event, they don't want to take any support roles. They just want to show up and and have a good time. Um and Yeah. You know, to a certain extent, that's okay, but we do still need people to step in and do things. Um, yeah, and, you know, yeah, when it I, takes some when responsibility. Teach, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I tell you, when I when I teach leadership classes, I hear this one all the time. So I kind of have people raise their hands. I say, like, how many of you um, have been part of a group where there was a toxic leader and you left that group? Because of that me, me, me. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, and like half or more of the hands go up in the room, and so yeah. then I say, like, how how many of you ended up in a position of leadership? Like, you didn't want to be a leader, but you wanted there to be community, and the only other option was this toxic leader locally. And you know, it's it's usually a pretty high percentage of people that raise their hands. So yeah. you know, it the the struggle I face is that the people who really need leadership training. You know these toxic leadership types are—they're um, never, you know, they're—they're they're not going to change. They're not going to go well, out you, and seek that self-reflection to see, like, how that's how necessary. have you been? Yeah, of, yeah. Um, well, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with—I uh, sh- uh, think it's sh- uh, Charlene Spretnak who wrote about the power deprived. Uh, and I actually discovered this after I experienced what you just described, being part of a toxic, you know, being being with a toxic group, and I just decided to go do my own thing, and which was, in a way, looking back on it, it was really a gift because it, you know, taught me so much, you know, spread my own wings. But, um, but I wanted to understand, you know, what happened, you know, what were the dynamics that, you know, that makes this go on, you know, and and. Um, Charlene's theory, um, you know, of this idea of uh, the power deprived is often in um, alternative religions, uh, people who feel marginalized out there in the mainstream world, they'll they'll be drawn to alternative religion where they can sort of create, you know, their own pedestal and create a um, congregation, so to speak. And you know, it, it, so they will they will have their own followers, and uh, and I've seen that over and over again. You know, it, where it feels like it's really about people's ego, it feels like it's really about people who wanna who are using this to make money or support themselves, as opposed to actually being in service. And uh, that's a you know that's a a big difference you know if I think if you're working with somebody who's dedicated and in service or you're working for somebody where it's you know really kind of mostly all about them uh, uh-huh. and then I think the people who are in it for the money uh, also are the ones that are very competitive and backstabbing sometimes and may, you know I don't mean to be so I guess I do mean to be so blunt I'm just being honest but I <laughs> I find that they're the ones that are always 
you know, rather than trying to bring groups together and and make something bigger uh, so that we can, you know, have a community that's maybe big enough to do important things in the world, have a soup kitchen or help somebody when they're out of a job or their mother's dying of cancer or something like that. You know, we never get big enough to really have support systems in place because, Everybody seems to be more concerned with just being in control of their little group in their living room. Yeah. Well, I mean, we definitely, I mean, there are, there are a few different kind of uh, profiles, I guess I, I could call them, of, of different types of people who end up in leadership in the, in, you know, in the pagan community specifically. Um, but I, I would say this goes for any subculture or marginalized group. Um particularly, you know, subculture types of groups. Um, exactly what you said. There there are the, the um, I think you called it power-starved. Uh, uh, power-deprived, yeah. Power-deprived, yeah. yeah. And, you know, what I see with that is a lot of these folks mean well, and I, and I can tell that they mean well, but they are very stubborn and they're very... Um, they are. They have. They don't have good self-esteem. Like they, you know, it's really mm-hmm. obvious to to me because I've worked with so many different people. You know, it's obvious that they don't have good self-esteem. And what that manifests as, because like, what what a lot of people don't know about uh, things like narcissistic personality disorder, for instance. Narcissistic personality disorder is. I mean, it is extreme egotism. But what they don't understand is that it's it's somebody who actually hates themselves so much that they can't exist without all these people around them that adore them. They mm-hmm. need to be, these people become their ego mirror um, because they are so ashamed of themselves. They they actually have no, they literally have no sense of self-esteem. And, um, and that's one of the more damaging personality, um, personality types in a group because they, you know, they, it, it means it's pain, you know, they're in pain, and they're mm-hmm. basically acting that pain out onto the group, and the group is sometimes the group flourishes for a while because narcissists can bring in a lot of energy to make stuff happen. But as you know, as I'm sure you've encountered this, you know, at least once, if not more than once, because it's just it's very common in our in these subculture communities that that person ends up in a position of power. And they build the thing, and then the things, you know, the group starts to unravel because it's all about them. Um, yeah. and it's sad, you know. It's really sad because, um, you know, they, you know, I, my ex, uh, my ex, um, fiance, um, you know, I, I certainly am not in a position to diagnose him, but there was, you know, there was really something about him where he drew people in, and um, he was willing to put in you know, 40 hours a week on top of the hours he was working his normal job to build community. But the problem was, is he just, he had no boundaries, he, you know, and he was doing lots of bad stuff. And, it, you know, that just that, that pattern tends to happen where, yeah, you know, pe- people step into that. And it's, and again, like some folks, I genuinely see them wanting to, to serve, but then they, they get wrapped up in their own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's not like, I mean, if if, they, if people aren't addressing their emotional instabilities or their character flaws, 
with a professional or on some level. I mean, if they mm-hmm. if they aren't doing the self-reflection to help fix themselves, it doesn't disappear when they right. uh, join a community. You know, it, uh, it would be nice if it did. You know, when you cross the threshold, you were suddenly the best <laughs> version of yourself. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, uh, people come into groups with their baggage. And uh, that can be uh, that can be bad. I mean, uh, I you know, and, and I I wonder too if it, if it was um, if it was almost regional. Um, you know, I I know when I lived in Louisiana, I didn't encounter the vicious women that I encountered in California. I mean, I I I, I joined a group once, and um, I got invited by Lady Olivia Robertson to go to Clonical Castle. She wanted to ordain me, and what an honor that was! And little did I know when I came home that was going to be the beginning of a nightmare. You know, I mean, it was you know gossiping and backstabbing after that, and when I you know, asked the group leader, you know, why was it going on? And she said, oh, well, honey, don't you know that's what women do when they get together? And I thought, well, you know, this this is no sisterhood. I This is not, I, I can't stay here. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm mm. gone. You know, I mean, uh, and, I mean, and that sort of, you know, falls in, uh, you know, falls under like Phyllis Chesler, you know, has written about women's inhumanity to women, you know, and, 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 and there are, I think, maybe more women in the pagan community sometimes than men. I mean, I don't know if there's really demographics on it, but uh, it seems like there's usually uh, more women than men, and at least maybe in the groups I was uh, I was in uh, because I learned as I'm, I'm not a Dianic anymore, but I learned as a Dianic. So um, you know, so most of the groups were primarily women. You know, um, but it it can be rough. I mean, you know, witch wars and ugly, ugly, and uh, it's it, we just have to um, you know figure out how to get beyond all of this. And sometimes it yeah. seems uh, real difficult. Yeah, it's. You know, I, I would agree that it's you know there there are more women in the pagan community than um, than men. Um, yeah, I mean it's you know often with you know and I again I can't speak to all the reasons why, but when I do see these toxic leadership patterns, you know what I what I there's just that power scarcity thing that happens where, um, and I hear, I hear this all the time. Somebody will say because people kind of message me for advice. They're like, I've got this leadership thing happening in my community. What do, what do I do? I'm like, all right, tell me your story. What's going on? And, you know, they'll say, well, there's, you know, there's this other local leader that, you know, runs such and such event. And when I started running my event, they started saying, telling rumors about me or, mm-hmm. you know, or there's, um, you know, such and such coven leader. And, uh, and I found out that this coven leader is um, sexually harassing, you know, people in the community. And, and I spoke up about it. And now everybody is you know, saying bad stuff about me or, you know, any, any number of different things like that. But it's right. def- definitely the, um, I hear so much, so so often about the, you know, the new person who comes into an area and tries to start something and it's, and the person who is, you know, been running a coven for, you know, five, 10, 20, 30 years, uh, gets really all bent out of shape about it. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like, like you, it's not like we have to ask permission for this stuff, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, plus but it's like they it have their—they totally think different. they have a territory. You know, it's, it's almost—it's yeah. territorial. <laughs> it is, yeah. 
It is. And it's, yeah. you know, and again, it's, it's scraps from the table. And I, and, and I, and I understand some of where those folks are coming from in the sense that like when I, um, I haven't, I haven't run public rituals in Chicago for a while because I, I moved up to Milwaukee, um, which is, it's about a two hour drive. So that was just far enough where it was becoming difficult to run, um, run things in Chicago. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, there are different traditions, there are different, you know, different things going on, and it's, it, there are folks who do, they do try and volunteer with a group, and they and they get nowhere, so then they like, okay, I'll just go do my own thing, and then mm-hmm. the rumor bill starts, and yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. just snowballs from there, and then, I mean, and these, those are, you know, those are the folks, and they, they're just, they're, they're crying as they're talking to me, they're just, they're so upset, and they're like, I, I they're like, I, I'm putting in so like they're like I work a full time job, and I'm doing all this work, you know, on top of my full time job to run a coven, and then I'm hearing all these rumors and and it burns them out. It they they get yeah. so stressed out that they're like I can't do this anymore. It's too much, and yeah. uh, and I think yeah, that's I, a real shame. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, I for one uh, almost quit the whole goddess community because of this sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, I came so so very close. In fact, um, I had one of those moments, you know, I I feel kind of funny even saying it now, but I had one of those moments where I had a talk with ISIS and I said, I said, Mother, I got one foot out the door and, um, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this anymore. And I, I, I literally said, I need a proverbial sign. I need a physical sign that I, you know, that I'm supposed to keep doing this. And I, I believe it or not, I did get the sign, which is was kind of miraculous in itself. I didn't expect to get the sign, but the sign happened. And so I did stay the course, and, you know, and, and it's a happy ending. But, um, yeah, I mean, these people can uh, drive you away rather than um, – uh, you know, create create partnership. You know, where you could grow the community uh, into something that could benefit everybody. You know, um, it's yeah. it's almost a divide and conquer kind of a thing. And um, you know, it's so uh, it's it's so unfortunate. And I, I, you know, I don't know of a lot of success stories, uh, quite frankly. You know. Um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, maybe you do, uh, but uh, you know, out here in California, it can be, uh, it can really be rough. I mean, I, I belonged to uh, back in the '90s, uh, one of probably the biggest Dianic groups in the country, and when the leader was getting ready to leave, um, uh, uh, we were supposed to be a consensus group, and when the leader was getting ready to leave. Rather than, uh, you know, when she moved away, uh, she rather than letting us choose a leader by consensus, she appointed someone who wasn't particular, particularly popular. And uh, when those of us who felt that wasn't the way to go, that we should keep being consensus, that this woman shouldn't kind of be shoved down our throat because um, we couldn't see, you know, her being our leader, uh, we were told we deserved to have our head filled full of holes with an Uzi machine gun. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's and it, it is a, Yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy. 
so um so yeah i mean uh you know needless to say i needed no more of that and uh but you know sometimes you know a friend of mine has a theory uh about these things um she believes that we have all of these implosions because that actually grows the spirituality her thinking is that if we all just sort of stayed in these you know groups that um, it wouldn't grow as quickly, where if when we have an explosion and people sort of all go out and start their own thing, you have more variety growing in more places, and it actually creates maybe in in the long run, not in the short run, but in the long run, maybe um, a better outcome, Um for for the species, so to speak, you know. Now, who knows? I mean, that's anecdotal. It's a theory, mm. um, but uh, it, you know, it is kind of interesting food for thought. Um, you know, rather than you know continuing on to one group to doing things their way, um, you know, other people, you know, going out starting their own group with their own vision, their own intuition, their own way of doing things. It uh, just sort of naturally encourages variety and um you know diversity so uh, you know maybe maybe it's all it's not all bad <laughs> well it certainly you know it certainly does well having i can say having been through a few blow ups um it certainly makes me a better teacher of leadership because when i did my leadership training uh, it was at a place called Diana's Grove which was not not at all a dianic tradition it was just that's just what it was called. Um, and Diana's Grove kind of came out of reclaiming, but had a little bit more of uh, Gene Houston's mystery school and a little bit more psychotherapy and mm-hmm. a little bit more Campbell um, and a little bit more educational theory and child psychology and, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. a little bit more mm-hmm. agnostic kind of stuff mixed in. Um, yeah, it wasn't just what color candle do we use? <laughs> oh no, no, no! It was, it was. I would call it, you know, intensive psychological magic is what I would call yeah. that. But you know, yeah. when, you know, when I did my leadership training there, which was, it was a three-year program, um, where you could do it in three years. That was the, the fastest you could do it. Um, and you know, I when I went back to Chicago to do, you know, to start organizing pagan community there and teach leadership workshops, I was. All right, I know how the, you know. I know how these group dynamics things. I know how this works. I know what happens, and um, and then I still got taken for a ride by uh, you know by a couple of folks. And uh, but now that I've been through that, um, I'm able to identify those red flags. Like I have a little satellite mm-hmm. disc, you know, and I yeah. can go, okay, there's this red flag, that red flag, that red flag. Okay, this is a problematic behavior, and I've got to keep an eye yeah. on that. Um, well, so, you know, you, that's, that is one, oh, oh, that is just, that is one upside of having been through some of those things is that you can then not only identify those things for the future so you don't get stuck in a group with somebody like that, but also, um, you know, you have the capacity to teach people like, okay, here, you know, here are the things to, to keep an eye out for. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, the other thing I was going to say, too, on a personal level, I think even though when we're going through these things, they're horrendous, um, I know for myself personally, um, I actually look back on some of those horrible experiences and see that they genuinely were a gift. 
Um, and, you know, I feel like it was um, pushing me down a different path where had I stayed where I was, I might not have been able to accomplish what I accomplished, you know. Uh, and and these, you know, these people were really, they weren't the teachers I signed up for, but they were sort of the, uh, you know, I call it the dark goddess lessons, you know. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're not the class you signed up for, but they were life lessons that were, uh, you know, indeed very valuable that sort of shapes you and helps you become, um, you know, who you are. Um, you know, because I think it's all, it's all in how we react to these things, too. You know, do we use these things? Do we, do we see the gift in these bad things and uh, make lemonade of lemons? Or do we just go be a hairball in the corner, you know, and uh, moan and groan about it the rest of our life? Um, so, you know, they can, they can be learning experiences. You know, we can turn these things around into teachable moments, um, you know, for ourselves and, uh, you know, and maybe the community. Um, so, Shauna, I wonder, you know, from, you know, from your, you know, your loads of experience, you know, what are some of the better tips, you know, for people out there who are maybe trying to think of it? Well, let's take it, let's take it two ways. If you're somebody that's trying to start a group, what's your best advice for them? And if you're someone who already has a group, what are the best tips to keep it harmonious and uh, growing, uh, you know, maybe into a more mature group of substance? Well, I, I would actually offer a similar piece of advice for, for both. Um, now, the the one thing for somebody who's new, uh, you know, or, or looking to start a group, there is not a, an existing group. There's always the question of how to actually find people, and that's a whole huge side question that I'm I won't get too far into but it's you know like if you're looking to find people that are in the same tradition as you you know go online and find you know find other people who are part of that tradition um, or part of that um, you know maybe you're into Hellenic reconstruction you know you're you're certainly going to have a hard time finding lots of, of folks who identify that way but you know the internet's a fabulous thing and you you know it's it's all handshake kind of a thing you know it's it's still very much a somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody um Mm -hmm. you know going to festivals and there's a hellenic reconstruction workshop and then you can meet other people maybe they're regional but again somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody and and so forth um so that's that's one thing is you know there, there are those tools to actually find other people um within you know your geographic area or people who are interested in the particular thing you're interested in but but what that kind of comes back to is is focus and for both your person looking to start a group or your person who already has a group you have to know what your group is about um you really need to know what is the focus and intention of your group and within that what are what are the basic agreements that are you know what's what's acceptable behavior and what isn't um you know so often people say, oh, we've got this really creepy person in our, in our group and I don't know what to do with them. I'm like, well, what are your standards of behavior? Like, what are, you know, what are your, your bylaws, your agreements for, you know, what it takes to remove somebody? Like, well, we've never done that before. You don't want to be creating your your group's agreements for how you remove somebody when you have to remove somebody. You know, that that's not the best time to be doing yeah. that. You want 
know what your policy and procedure is for that. And, and that, that sounds really dry. Um, you know, people are like, I don't want to have to write up corporate bylaws or, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It just can be, you know, if, if, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a group that operates by consensus or if it's a group that where there's a, you know, an elected leadership or if it's a group where, um, you know, a benevolent dictatorship, how, whatever your group structure happens to be, A, you have to know what your group structure is. And a lot of people haven't even identified that. They just like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I'll just make it together. That's not a decision-making mm-hmm. process. Um, that is bound to leave people in tears. But whatever your process is, just, you know, okay, when, you know, when we've got somebody who's engaging in behavior that some people are finding objectionable, this is how we receive a complaint. This is how we document the complaint. We have, you know, maybe three people from the leadership team, you know, do a mediation with that person or, you know, whatever, whatever your process is. It, you know, again, it doesn't have to be super complicated to know how you're going to approach that and what is required for that person to be, you know, if, if you decide, okay, this, this person's really acting in a way that's not okay in the group. Um, you know, do you need a consensus of your entire team to remove them? Do you just need the decision of one person? Do you need three elders? You know, they, whatever that process is, you need to know what that process is. And, um, but, but really it comes back to focus. And I see a lot of conflict in groups happen because people were not clear about the focus of the group. Um, mm-hmm. Here's here's an example. I I wrote a longer piece on it on the uh, I blog at witchesandpagans.com on their pagan square, but I also kind of reference this in my essay in the pagan leadership anthology. So like, let's say let's say three people are starting a coven, and um, Fred really wants to do big public ritual, like at Pagan Pride and, and you know, other Sabbaths during the year. You know, Fred really wants the, the big public stuff. Sarah wants to teach workshops. She wants to offer workshops for, you know, like one-on-one kind of stuff so that to build that group, um, you know, starting out teaching people and make that work accessible. Um, Fran does not want to run big public rituals or help run classes. Fran just wants to attend, you know, rituals and take classes. Um, But none of these three folks actually articulated what they wanted. They just assumed like, oh, we all get along really well together. Let's let's form a coven. Okay, that sounds great. These three people are going to frustrate the heck out of each other because they each want different things, but they never articulated them up front. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so it's, I mean, these are what I call innocent conflicts where nobody's bad, you know, right. like none of these people are bad, but they're just, you know, they're, they're going to drive each other crazy. So the one thing that I would say for any group is like, know, know what your group is about. And if you're the one starting it, guess what? You get to say what your group is about. Now, if nobody joins up, you know, if nobody joins and gets on board with you, then you might you know, then it might be, okay, well, maybe, maybe this focus, there wasn't so much interest in that. Um, and, you know, and that happens again, if you're, if you're trying to start out like a, you know, a particular reconstructionist type of a group, for instance, and there there just may not be very many people in your area. So that might be hard to do. Um, 
like you know one of the challenges I face is I like I like running big public rituals, but finding people who are also interested in taking ritual roles and learning how to do it well is really difficult. Um, yeah. You know, most most of the people that I have worked with in Chicago really, they don't want to take ritual roles. They just want to attend. Um, there are some folks who are interested in, in learning ritual roles, but for the most part, the folks who are willing to take on ritual, you know, public speaking stuff in ritual, they actually already have their own groups. So, mm-hmm. you know, because, it, it, you know, public speaking is one of the, I mean, I think it's the top fear I think it's the, the number one fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember have. when I was, too, I was so, sh- I was uh, too shy to even call in a corner way back when. Uh huh. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was that was me back in the day. Um, I mean, I. People who meet me now, they're like, "Oh, you're, you're, you're you do public speaking. You're, you do fine." I'm like, "Yeah, if you would have seen me, you know, <laughs> back in back in the early 2000s, you know, I, I there's no way I would have been able to do any of this stuff." Um, but I mean, that I mean, and that's why I because I teach workshops on how to facilitate workshops and how to facilitate rituals. And when I tell people like, "If I can do this, anybody can," because I was a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but again, I mean, it's it's you know that that group has to know what it's about. Um, I mean, which is the, the essence of the word ego is, is self-identity. And if that right. group doesn't have an edge and a boundary of this is what we do and this is not what we do, then what's going to happen is um, there's a there's a power under thing that happens in groups where let's say we've got 15 people in our in our group and we run a few public classes, but mostly it's small coven work. You know, that's private. Um, and then, you know, maybe somebody brings a guest one night um, who's interested and they don't have a group, but maybe they're interested in a very different tradition. But, you know, let's say we're in a really rural area and there aren't really any other opportunities for them. So, okay, they can they can come to our stuff. You know, we want to be welcoming. Well, but then they start to whine over time because it's, it's like, well, you know, you guys are always calling in the Norse deities, and, and I really work with Celtic. You know, can we maybe call in some of the Celtic deities sometimes? And, you know, the, the group tries to be accommodating. Well, you know, there was some crossover, so, okay, we could do that every once in a while. But it keeps going until the group starts to warp out of shape, and people mm-hmm. start leaving because they're like, look, I, I came for this, and this isn't what the group is anymore. Um, right, right. You know, and it's not to say that groups can't shift over time because they absolutely can, but the shifting should be intentional. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. it shouldn't and, just and be caving to somebody like that or whatever else comes up that that gets dis- that the group gets distracted. Or right, right. You know, one another thing that I I've seen happen is where like a coven, like some. You know, there's a um, you know whether it's a high priest or a high priestess or a, whatever you know their their coven leader's title happens to be, and um, you know it's it's a teaching coven and they've been working together for like a year or two and then all of a sudden, you know the leader comes back to the group and says, guess what? I got us a, I got us uh, into pagan pride and we're going to be leading their main ritual, and everybody's like, uh, what now? <laughs> you know, because they didn't they didn't sign up for that, and so I mean it's it's. On the yeah. one hand, I do I do want to see more people being willing to do the work to step in and learn how to do those kinds of public speaking things 
at the same time, you can't pull that on on a group of people. Like if you if you want to do big public ritual, you got to be transparent about what you're doing and not, yeah, you know, trick people into it. Right, 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 right. Or or try to twist their arm uh, because right. you know you got you got a brilliant idea and you know got a wild hair up your butt because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it, it it might make people uncomfortable. Um, well, uh, we're, we probably got about ten minutes left. Uh, is or uh, there, uh, you know, aside from you know having a uh, clear focus and mission statement and uh, rules about how you're going to handle things that could come up, um, anything else you want to add that maybe I haven't thought to ask? Um, you know, I think I think the uh, well, I mean, and my. My essay in the Pagan Leadership Anthology goes into um, a number of different tools. Specifically, one is creating that you know that group structure, but then the next kind of phase of it is um, understanding your group's boundaries, which is again that's part of the identity of the group and and what the focus is. But it's also looking at your own personal boundaries and what you said just a, just a moment ago, like where you're that thing that happens where people pressure other people to do something. Um, that's that's just really that's poor boundaries, and um, yeah, I, there's a there's a fantastic book I think it's called Where I End and You Begin, um, and uh, but really I mean just just any any personal work we we humans can do on on uh, developing healthier boundaries is really um, going to help groups because. Like I, I know so many visionary leaders, and I and I've been in this boat too. I've I've done it myself. Who they're like they have this idea for we're going to do this thing, we're going to do you know, whatever it is, we're going to run this event, and then they kind of strong arm people into taking roles to make that event happen. Um, and then a couple months down the line, they're like, hey, did you get all the presenters lined up for this? And then they don't hear anything back, and then they get all upset. They're like, oh, you know. Everybody drops the ball. Nobody gets anything done. Like, well, that, that okay, that, that's true from a certain point of view. It's also true that you may have pressured them into doing this thing that they really right. actually didn't want. And they just said yes because we, we, don't, we live in a culture of yes. We live in a culture that pressures us to say yes, and there are social consequences for saying no. Yeah, um, yeah. So well, that, and sometimes you know, a, sometimes there's a there's a positive to that, and uh, you know, not to diminish what you are saying at all because it's absolutely uh, it's absolutely true. But you know, sometimes I've seen people who were challenged to stretch themselves, and they actually they actually grew. You know, they 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 found skills and talents they didn't know they had. Um, you know, so I guess it's the difference between strong arming and uh, encouraging. You know, strongly encouraging versus strong arming, and you know maybe there's a fine line, but you know that uh, divides the two. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, there's there's definitely. I mean, I guess for me, it has to be if it's transparent. It's you know, there's there's an ethical line to that. Like if it's if I if I say to somebody, hey, you know. I'd really like you to take on this role for the event. I know that it's a stretch for you to step into public speaking in this way, but, um, you know, whatever, I, I think this would really help you to be able to do this, and uh, I want to make space for that, blah, 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 whatever. And, and, you know, having that conversation with somebody makes it so much more ethical than just kind of um, 
Yeah, yeah, throwing Strong them into army. it. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then then as a leader, you run into the situation where somebody wants to do something and you're not really sure if they're quite up to it and you don't want them to fall on their face in a public ritual. Right. Um, Right. So so it's always great to, uh, you know, give them practice uh, on, on your home turf before you actually take the ritual, you know, out into the public. Uh, I I I do that. I give I give people smaller roles. Uh, Well, I do it for two reasons. One is I I give people smaller roles if they're really nervous. Because I'm like, look, in the Mm. the minute and a half it's going to take you to do this, nobody's going to die. I promise you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And my favorite thing is, you know, nobody out there knows how this was intended. So if we forget something or mess something up, nobody's going to know but us. (laughs) Right. Right. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Um, well, well, Shauna, um, uh, you know, tell us, uh, you know, before you go tonight, tell us a little bit about the uh, Pagan Leadership Anthology and also the Pagan cons- Consent Culture Anthology. Sure. Um, it, it's actually kind of funny that they both came out right about the same time because I think they're, they both address, um, you know, leadership issues that are, I think, really crucial for not just the pagan community. I mean, I think it's, you know, anybody in an alternative spirituality group is going to get something out of out of those books. Um, the Pagan Leadership Anthology um, has over 30 essays from, you know, from you, there's the essay you wrote. There's mine. Taylor Elwood was the um, was the editor, a co-editor with me. Um, he has an essay in there. Um, his essay is actually a really great like if you're looking to start a group, you know, just a small group. Here's kind of an ABC of how to do that. It's a, it's a really um, tight focused essay just on that um, but then there's all these other essays that are you know basically it's, you know people who've been doing this for years and this is the stuff I wish I had known when I started out um, mm-hmm. lots of different perspectives there I mean there are even there are, I don't even necessarily agree with all the essays um, there's some stuff in some of the essays where I was like you know I don't really agree with that but I could see how it could work for a different group so yeah I'm gonna go ahead and put it in um, and uh, so, yeah, it's just it's it's all sorts of different thoughts and perspectives on uh, a lot of people talking about leadership problems that they face, and then kind of how they how they got through that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a whole section on burnout and and learning to deal with burnout and moving past that and uh, and avoiding burnout. Um, lots and lots of good stuff. The uh, Pagan Consent Culture Anthology. Uh, very much came out of you know there there was a I'll just call it a kerfuffle uh, a couple years back where a well-known pagan teacher and musician was arrested for um, ba- basically for child possession of child pornography um, and then it came out that he had actually uh, harassed and assaulted you know, people at festivals who, you know, children who were underage and nobody did anything about it. Um, cause he was a, you know, he was a presenter. And so that created a whole kind of a kerfuffle backlash, you know, people sharing their stories and talking about like, yes, this stuff does happen in the pagan community. Um, there is a lot of sex pressuring behavior in the pagan community. And it was kind of, I mean, I see it very much as a, you know, there's, there's our dominant culture of sex shaming and then, there was the whole free love thing, but the free love thing kind of turned into some sex pressuring where it's like, oh, if you're not 
getting naked, then you're a prude, you know, that whole mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And uh, so the consent culture, it's, it's a huge anthology, but it's, it's gosh, I mean, I, I will admit, I haven't even gotten through the whole thing yet because I just got my copies. Um, there's so many so, great articles in it about building a culture of consent versus, you know, moving away from a rape culture um, and, and focusing more on consent within many different pagan traditions. So is it more the consent? Is the consent basic? Is it is it about boundaries of all sorts, or is it mostly just about sexual consent? Um, I would say that that is the thread that ties it together, but it is more than just that. Like there's, um, in the article I have in there, I talk about um, physical boundaries and hugs, for instance, which, um, you know, in, uh, you know, when, you know, when you go to a pagan festival or a conference or something and, and, uh, you know, everybody's hugging and, and nobody asks, do you, do you want to be hugged? Um, well, as it happens over the past couple of years, this talk about consent, and lots of people have been saying, ask me before you hug me. And I hear that now all the time, at least at oh, certain okay. events. At, at Pentheacon, I heard it a lot. Um, convocation, not so much. Um, and in a couple of weeks, I'll be at Paganicon, which is in Minneapolis. And that that conference, though, is much more consent-focused. And, you know, it's Having a having a policy for a safety policy or anti harassment policy, like what do you do at an event when somebody is acting in a way that's inappropriate, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be sexually inappropriate. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's it's the whole spectrum of consent, and it focuses. I would say it focuses very much on like we're we're trying to build this entire culture uh, of consent, and it and and sex is the, the I guess the really obvious way that it plays out and that we have this kind of, you know, we want that to get better. We want, we want there to be less, um, you know, sexual assault uh, for obvious reasons. We don't want that to be happening, but what about all these other gray area things? What about hugging? What about, um, pressuring people into doing things? You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's talking about consent, um, Across right, the board. Right, but it is, right. it is, you know, there is, there is a focus on sexuality. I would say as, as part of it, but it goes beyond that. Okay. Well, um, why don't? Uh, well, one last question, and then I'd like for you to tell folks where they can get the two books. Um, the, where do people find out about all of these different pagan um, conferences? Is there like one go-to place that lists where all the conferences are across the United States? Oh gosh, wouldn't that be great? Um, but, <laughs> nothing that I, I didn't know think of. So. Uh, yeah, okay. I, mean, I yeah, that there are there have been over time there are websites that have tried to do things like that, but they never get kept up. Um, you know, if if anybody wants to message me, like if you're trying to find something in your area, and you're mm-hmm. and you're you know you're having a hard time, you know do. People can absolutely message me. You know, I'm, you can find me on Facebook. I don't have any friend spots left, which is ridiculous. But I, I still get messages from people, even if we're not friended. Um, uh-huh. Or, or people can email me. It's shaunaora at gmail dot com. Um, when I'm traveling, I don't get back to people quickly, but I do, I do get back to people. And, uh, you know, I don't know of every event everywhere, but, you know, if I, if I know of something in your area. Or if I, if I know any people in your area, 
you know, that's something I can certainly do. But, I mean, you know, there's you can look online for pagan pride days in your area. Um, if you search kind of your nearest metro area and search pagan pride or pagan pride yeah, day. Yeah, that's yeah. That's a way. And, and I'll tell you what, volunteering at a local pagan pride is a fantastic way to get to know your local community um, yeah. and know the different groups are, you know, and all that. Like, you'll learn a lot just by volunteering. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a uh, that's a really good idea, and you know, just the idea of volunteering. There are never enough volunteers, and if there yeah. were, you know, our, our leaders wouldn't burn out so quickly. You know, yeah. Uh, I, I know I did uh, public rituals here in LA for a decade uh, after I left that group, and um, you know, it got to the point where I just felt like I was herding cats. And yeah. uh, w- when I got the opportunity to write my first book and I sort of went solo, uh, I never turned back. You know, it was like, okay, I can still be of service to the community without, you know, having to do the thing that was really starting to make me weary. You know, I loved it. I mean, we had incredible events, but... Um, I, I mean, sometimes our rituals out on the beach, people thought we were a movie crew. Uh, but, uh, you know, it 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 gets to be really hard. I mean, you know, we would practice for three months before we did a public ritual. We had props and, you know, temple walls and costuming and all of that sort of thing. And that's a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. I actually, uh, this this might amuse you, I'm, uh, I'm in the process of moving. Um, and where I'm moving doesn't have as much storage space. As uh, as where I am now, um, I've got this big four car garage where I'm at now, and I have all my ritual supplies. Like as I do, I do big giant decorated mm-hmm. altars. I have, and I and I keep extra ritual clothing on hand for like you know scarves and long pieces of fabric that can be used for veils and you know all sorts of mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, where I'm moving, I don't have enough storage space, and I I finally come to realize I need a trailer. Yeah, I need a trailer for all this ritual stuff. So I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing like a fundraiser for a trailer, but I'm trying to sell enough artwork or or hard copies of my books so that I can afford a, a cheap little trailer. <laughs> so you mean like, like a trailer you would pull, like that you would pull around or something you can put yeah. in the backyard or? Well, okay. it would, it would, yeah, it would basically stay parked next to the garage at the new place. Um, yeah. But then. You know, when I when I need to actually take it places and and use it, I would have a way to get it there. So, right, yeah. right, right. Okay. Because well, my, put it my, out there well, my in the universe, you, you never know. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I I uh, yeah I I I finally had to admit it. I was like, oh gosh, okay, it's finally come down to it. I really do need a trailer to get all my event supplies to places. Because uh, well, because my van, <laughs> I have a I have a minivan, and it's. Uh, right now, it's full of my artwork because um, when I travel and I teach, I also vend my artwork. Um, yeah. And quite frankly, my artwork—I make a lot more money selling my artwork than I do selling books. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so my van is basically a you know mobile art van. Uh, it's just full of right. art and and vending setup. So I'm like, ah, oh, I can have the art or I can have the ritual supplies in the van. I can't have both unless I get a trailer. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and, and you know, and, and there you're reminding me of something else. You know, I know here in L.A., uh, after doing that for 10 years and, and in the process of doing that for 10 years, and before that with the other group, because they did pretty elaborate rituals too, um, you know, we, we so desperately wanted a brick-and-mortar space that we Absolutely. could just leave all of this stuff, you know. And we're so lucky now that we have the Goddess Temple of Orange County, but that doesn't really serve the needs of everyone, you know. Right. Um, but but at least, you know, there's something in the idea that you don't have to, you know, recreate a space out of nothing, you know, because maybe you've rented a room or, you know, and it's four walls and now you have to turn it into some sacred space. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of schlepping. <laughs> it, it is. I, I mean, I, I sometimes say my dharma is to be a pack pony because I'm, you know, <laughs> I can't even tell you how many hours I have spent schlepping bins of ritual supplies and setting up altars. I, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I know. It's, well, yeah. listen, Shauna, t- tell, um, you know, tell our listeners where they can find your books and your art and, um, you know, and here's your moment to, uh, you know, to sort of give your final pitch. Um, so the best place to find me online, uh, you know, find information about the books is my website, and that's SeanAuraKnight.com. That's Knight with a K. Um, if you are, uh, right now I'm actually building a, a new shop for my artwork. Um, I have it basically listed on Facebook just to keep track of it all. <laughs> And that's actually where I sell most of it is off of off of my Facebook. But um, I'm I'm still in the process of building a new store because I really don't like how Etsy works. So I'm doing something else. Uh, so I don't actually have a direct link to my artwork. But if you're looking to purchase to take take a look at some of my artwork or purchase it, because um, I do custom work. You know, if you have a particular goddess or animal spirit or deity that you work with, I can always do something custom. Um, but if you want to take a look at stuff, I can send you. I, I do have links to uh, kind of examples of my stuff on my website. But uh, and if you you know if you have any questions about leadership stuff, uh, leadership, ritual facilitation, community building, all that kind of kind of a thing, um, please do email me at shaunaora at gmail dot com. Um, you can message me on Facebook whether or not we're friended. I do check my whatever other folder, whatever they call that. Um, you know, Facebook is a great that's that's my primary social media place where I hang out. Um Okay. Yeah, cuz it's, you know, it's visual. I can post pictures of my cats. It's great. And you know, I didn't <laughs> I had I didn't even know you were an artist. So now I'm going to have to go look at your stuff on Facebook. No, well, I will uh if you want, I will send you a link to uh the the kind of active I have a I what I have is I have a photo album that has all the current available pieces. Um that uh, that are that are that are in there, and then it, it's got the prices and the sizes. Because okay. I was, I was just, I was like, all right, I gotta, I've gotta organize it somehow because Etsy was driving me crazy. So. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. listen. Well, thank you so much um, for coming on tonight. You know, this is a a, a topic that I'm sure uh, will continue to be discussed. Uh, and you know, as it grows and matures, and uh, you know, as as new people come up, uh, they're going to need to know, um, you know, where they can find some pagan leaders who have kind of been there, done that, and maybe help them not reinvent the wheel. You know, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, so so thank you for the books. Thank you for the opportunity to be in the anthologies. And uh, I think you're submitting something to me, aren't you, uh, for this next anthology coming up, I believe? For the, for the, uh, the I think it's Goddess 2.0 or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, if, if I have. you haven't already. No, I have. It's in my inbox to, uh, I was actually going to, after after our call, I was going to uh, send you an email about some ideas I had for that. So, okay, all right, to write sounds that, good. So. Good, good. Well, I wanted to make yeah. sure you were you were planning to submit. So, well, well, thank you, Shauna, and I hope you feel better soon. And uh, thank you so much for uh, being on the show tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. And I'm I'm actually I'm already feeling better. I think uh, I think the worst is past, which would be fantastic. Yeah. You didn't cough once. <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right. We'll feel better, and uh, I'm I'm sure we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Good you night. Have good, you have a good night. Okay. Bye. Well, uh, lots of food for thought there. Um, certainly, Shauna is someone who has uh, been around the block and has lots of uh, great wisdom to share. So I'm glad she was with us uh, tonight. And uh, please do. Uh, you know, check out those two anthologies, the Pagan Leadership Anthology and the Pagan Consent Culture Anthology. So uh, moving on, uh, I asked you to stick with me after the interview, and um, I wanted to tell you about the fun we had uh, at the Goddess Temple of uh, Orange County on Sunday when we did phone banking for Bernie Sanders. Well, it was the first time most of us had done it, and we posted some pictures on uh, my character and Tate uh, Facebook page, Uh, but what a fun way to uh, meet new people and feel like you were making a difference, and uh, we all had such... uh you know, different experiences, Um, you know, when you do that, uh, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, The phone phone calls actually come into your phone. So uh, if you've been thinking about maybe phone banking, but you didn't want to use your minutes or you didn't want it to cost you any money, you don't have to because it won't cost you anything but your time. And they provide you with a script. And uh, the people you call, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes it's a hang-up call. Sometimes people just say, no, thank you. Uh, sometimes people say, well, tell me more about so-and-so. Or sometimes people might argue with you a little bit. And, you know, you can engage or not. You know, it's up to you. Uh, but if, uh, you know, if you don't have a phobia about, uh, you know, talking to strangers on a very limited um basis when they provide you with a script you know you don't have to you know talk off the top of your head uh and you want to volunteer seriously think about it because we had uh an awesome time in fact uh you know it's a bonding experience it's a community building experience and um you know, everyone who was there, uh, we're so glad they came and uh, are anxious to get together again and repeat it. So uh, I want to thank the Goddess Temple of Orange County for sponsoring our event. They provided the space free. And, uh, you know, a temple or a church cannot support a particular candidate, 
so they do provide the space of, uh, for uh, other candidates if uh, uh, if anyone wanted to do something similar there, you know, they could as well. Uh, it's not like the Goddess Temple was coming out endorsing Bernie Sanders. I, you know, I want to make sure I say that so that uh, there's no misunderstanding and I don't want the temple to have any problems or issues uh, with their church status. But, uh, you know, they just, uh, in the interest of democracy, uh, were providing the space uh, for you know, people who wanted to help their political candidates, and it was uh, it was really fun. And um, and about Super Tuesday, yeah, I was going to talk a little bit about yesterday. Well, you know, um, if you were wringing your hands last night uh, waiting for the Super Tuesday polls to come out, um, you know, I, I I was so anxious, I almost went to the movies so I wouldn't be tempted to sit here in anxiety. But instead, I chatted with people on social media, and uh, for those of you who uh, are only getting uh, your information, or should I say your misinformation from the mainstream media, I actually wanted to read you this incredible, incredibly enlightening uh, little short piece from uh, Chank Unger. I never can pronounce his name right. Chank, Chank Unger of the Young Turks. That's how you probably know him, Chank, the Young Turks. And uh, here's what he said. <clears throat> he said, going into tonight, meaning yesterday, Super Tuesday, going into tonight I was unclear what was going to happen because the polling was so shoddy in some states, especially Colorado and Minnesota. Those two states are so important because of what they mean for the future. Turns out that Hillary Clinton won all of the states she was supposed to win and a narrow victory in Massachusetts. Uh, Remember, she won Massachusetts by 15 points against Obama and still lost the primary in 2008. But Bernie Sanders uh, had resounding wins in Vermont, Colorado, Minnesota, and Oklahoma. Those two states, uh, well, uh, those uh, Colorado and Minnesota, uh, those two states are much more indicative of the states that are coming up in the rest of the primary schedule. Uh, all of the southern states um, were... Uh, Hillary Clinton's best states, uh, by the way, also irrelevant places to have strength in for the general election because Republicans usually uh, win those. So she's used up most of her ammo and doesn't even know what kind of trouble she's in. Uh, right before the voting, she pivoted toward the right again in anticipation of the general election. So that should tell you folks, you know, this pivot to the left to uh, – um, compete with Bernie Sanders is not genuine. But anyway, uh, Chank is saying that he thinks that was a big mistake on her part, but she can't help herself. She lives and breathes arrogance. Those are his words. Uh, so Super Tuesday could have been the knockout punch if Clinton had won Colorado and Minnesota, but she didn't. She lost them really big. Now Bernie Sanders has a $40 million war chest. Five million collected just on Monday alone, even after he lost the South Carolina primary. So it's a very favorable map in front of him. So if you're a Sanders person, don't believe any of the discouraging stuff they're telling you in the mainstream media, the stuff that makes, you know, uh, they want to make people think it's over. It is so far from over because all you have to do is look back and see Hillary was beating Barack Obama and uh, in the beginning. 
and toward the end she fizzled out and he won and we're thinking the same thing is going to happen this way so you just keep feeling the burn um, you know, time is on Bernie's side. The more he runs, the more people find out about him. Everyone already knows Clinton. She gains no new voters. Every day he gains ground. So now he lives to fight many other days. She's in a race against time, and she didn't close the door last night. Tick-tock, tick-tock he says. It must be deja vu, like when she started out strong against Obama but lost the race, like the tortoise and the hare. Now, March 8th is a, is a huge, uh, and that's coming up around the corner. What, today is the second, so it's a week away, uh, because whoever wins Michigan has momentum going into March 15th, the real Super Tuesday, uh, which includes the states of Florida, Ohio, Illinois, North Carolina, and Missouri. That's Colossal Tuesday, and maybe the Ides of March for Hillary Clinton. And let's not forget, uh, oh, yeah, so if you're in one of those states or you want to do uh, canvassing or phone banking or um, you don't want to do any of those things and you just want to donate money, whatever you want to do, just do it. Because you know what? We have an incredible opportunity here. You know, we have been talking about a paradigm shift. We have been talking about changing the world. This is it. This is a real way to do this. You know, they're rooting for Bernie Sanders in Europe. Um, they're rooting for Bernie Sanders in Australia. Uh, the expatriates uh, actually sent in their votes, and Bernie Sanders won. Uh, Bernie Sanders won all the expatriate votes. So. You know, we've been talking about a paradigm shift here for a long, long time, that we want things to change. And I understand that Hillary offers um, some, um, you know, some minor changes, some, some minor reform. Because you know what? That's all she can really offer, because the corporations who are paying her way aren't going to let her do anything really significant that is going to change um, politics in this country that's going to change uh, the social safety net. Um, and if, if you want to see a campaign finance reform, if you want to see a single payer, if you want a higher minimum wage, if uh, you want to see free college, if, if you want to do things that the rest of the world is doing for their people, if you want your tax dollars to stop going for regime change and instead go you know go into jobs and fixing our infrastructure i have to tell you i look you know i'm the feminist i would be voting along gender lines if i really thought that was going to make any difference and i have to say i just really don't so um I hope I don't offend my Hillary listeners out there because, you know, like I said at the Goddess Temple on Sunday and services when we were talking about compassion, you know, I believe we all sincerely have more in common than we're different. We all want the same things. Um, but, you know, we can have respect for one another and have we don't have to agree on everything. We're not the Borg, after all. Um in my opinion, I think the more discerning thing to do, I think the more courageous thing to do is to, uh, you know, stand behind Bernie Sanders. You know, he is the only one out there that is not taking corporate money. So, anyway, uh, you know, there's there's my spiel. I really do believe Bernie Sanders is the candidate of the paradigm shift. 
So and let's not forget that uh, uh, Hillary has that FBI investigation still hanging over her head. She has really uh, high unfavorables across the country, and that's a huge thing. I mean, just from a pragmatic perspective, uh, the DNC should really look at the polls that have Bernie Sanders beating Trump and all the other frontrunners of the GOP by larger margins than Clinton can muster. And, you know, what's that old saying? There's none so blind as those that will not see. I hope the DNC starts to open their eyes. I mean, I know they're owned by corporations. You see, that's the problem. They want her in there because they don't want anything to change. They want to keep the status quo. Uh, But that doesn't benefit the 99%. It really doesn't. It just really benefits the 1% and, you know, maybe some of the millionaires out there. But I don't think most of us uh, are making more than $250,000 a year. None of us are making a million dollars a year. So, you know, we're the people that Bernie Sanders' policies can really help. We need more than tinkering around the edges. And, um, you know, speaking about what other countries do for their people, you know, how their tax dollars are used, you know, for their people instead of incessant wars and regime changes. Um, I wonder if you heard that the the woman who, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who was uh, the number two, I think, over at the Democratic National uh, Party, uh, she actually quit this past week so that she could support Bernie Sanders because she said she believed that uh, it was only Bernie Sanders who had the judgment to keep us out of war and to stop using our money for the military-industrial complex and start using our tax dollars uh, to um, restore our own country and our own people. And um, Michael Moore's new movie, uh, again, I'm sorry, going back to what other countries do with their tax dollars, um, I hope... uh, Uh, You know, you went to see Michael Moore's uh, new movie. If you haven't, please do. It's called uh, Where to Invade Next. And it sounds like a crazy title, but uh, what he does is kind of tongue-in-cheek. He goes around the world exploring other countries to see what uh, they've got that America needs. He starts in Italy, then goes to multiple other countries. And what he finds over and over and over again is Americans are getting so screwed and exploited by corporations, and we uh, we are the most backward. We're doing things the most backward of ways, and and and, um, and and so stupid, ignorant, all in the name of greed and corporate interests rather than the interests of the people. And I want to honestly tell you, I cried maybe three times during the film. It was a comedy, but it was bittersweet because it is so pathetic how we are being exploited. You know, uh, and so some people are so brainwashed. They think the Bernie Sanders people just want free stuff. And, you know, and that's so insane. We don't just want free stuff. We want our tax dollars used not for corporate welfare, not for war, but for education and infrastructure and the social safety net so people can retire with dignity and not have to live on $1,200 a year, you know, because nobody can, you know, if they retire on Social Security. So anyway, uh, if you are a Bernie Sanders supporter, see this movie because it will give you more ammunition with undecided voters. If you're not a Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, then you've got to see the movie and educate yourself because – 
You know, we're not about uh, just wanting free stuff. The middle class is disappearing, and it's going to take big changes like he's talking about uh, to start to rebuild it again. Um, You know, not this uh, pragmatic approach, I think, that Clinton wants to do, uh, because I think uh, she's when she says, oh, let's be pragmatic, we can't do these things, well, that's, you know, she's telling you ahead of time, don't expect much. You know, her hands are going to be tied. And if uh, Bernie Sanders can sweep into the White House and along with him we get more uh, Democrats in the Senate and the House, he will have support because this revolution isn't just about him. It's going to be everybody that's down the ticket um, when we vote for president in November. So we have the opportunity. Uh, there's a lot of seats up for grab. We have a lot. Of, we have an opportunity to put him in the White House and a lot of people supporting him uh, in Congress, uh, you know, to help him do these things. And if we don't get a lot of people in Congress, he has the millions of us who have been supporting his campaign, the people who are doing all the work on the ground, phone banking. You know, we're not going to just disappear like President Obama told us to all disappear. He didn't really need us. He was going to handle it. You know, Bernie knows better. He knows he's going to need us. And, you know, he'll point to the Republicans and he'll say, you see those people out on the White House, you know, out uh, in uh, in the street? You know, you tell those people no. You know, you tell all those millions of people no. It's going to be on you. And, you know, and these people are going to want to get reelected. I don't know if you remember when Bernie San, uh, I'm sorry, when George Bush was trying to privatize Social Security. The calls that went into um, the Congress shut the telephone system down. We can do that. We can do that easily. And you know what? George Bush stopped talking about privatizing Social Security. That's what it takes, and that's what we're going to do. And you know what? Bernie's got an army. And, uh, I mean, look at the uh, petition that uh, probably by the end of this radio show is going to have over 75,000 signatures uh, to arrest Bill Clinton for his shenanigans in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, you know, when he was um, uh, illegally campaigning uh, at the polls and preventing other people from voting. Um, You know, uh, Bernie has the support, he has the momentum, he has these young people with all the enthusiasm, and I really do believe uh, we're going to put him in the White House. So, um, anyway, see the Michael Moore movie, uh, Where to Invade Next, Uh, and I believe Bernie Sanders is the FDR of our time. Yes, Um, you know darn well people said, Uh, The things FDR wanted to do weren't possible, but he did them, and the people loved him so much they elected him to the presidency four times because he was their hero. Well, Bernie's already people's hero. He's a rock star, and uh, I don't think Clinton can come anywhere close to the enthusiasm that people have for Bernie. And more and more people, as they learn about him, you know, they're getting on the Bernie train. So... um, couple things before I go tonight. I want to remind you about uh, the Mysteries of Mary Magdalene tour that's coming up uh, in May to France. Uh, You can join author and intuitive Gloria Amendola as she embarks on an epic journey to ancient pilgrimage sites dedicated to Mary Magdalene, uh, Mother Mary, Isis, Joan of Arc, uh, Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine, and Earth Mother Gaia. Uh, Throughout the pilgrimage, you'll visit places of profound beauty, 
imbued with earth energy, valued by the guardians of the grail. Just some of the destinations are Lyon, France, St. Baum, St. Marie de la Mer, Rennes-le-Chateau, Montségur, Lourdes, uh, Chartres, and it ends in Paris on the night of the full moon. So for more details, uh, you can contact Gloria Amendola on Facebook at holygrailmary at gmail.com, and her website is gloria-amendola.com. And uh, I wonder if you've uh, picked up a copy of Sage Woman magazine lately. Uh, maybe you're new to Sage Woman. Um, let me tell you about it and tell you how you can get a free copy. Um, Sage Woman celebrates the goddess and every woman and has been doing that for over 30 years. And the magazine brings the wisdom of women's spirituality to over 10,000 women every month. Uh, with every 88-page issue. And you can get a free copy by calling this number. If you want to grab a pen, I'll talk slowly for a moment while you grab a pen. Uh, Call their toll-free number, 888-888, and Sage Woman, 888-SAGE-WOMAN. And those numbers are 888-724-3966. Please remember to mention this ad, Uh, for a free sample issue. Uh, Tell them you uh, heard about this on Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. And you can also go check out the Sage Woman, uh, uh, you know, magazine online at uh, sagewoman.com. And uh, finally, uh, I want to make sure uh, you know about uh, Joe Carson's new book, Uh, I want to thank Joe for running her commercials here on the air. It helps me pay for the airtime, although your donations are greatly appreciated to help supplement that because I do pay for the airtime every week, every month, year in and year out, out of my own pocket when uh, donations or commercial money fall short. Uh, Anyway, uh, here's something new I want to tell you about. Um, You know, from time to time on the show, uh, in the past I had described the film by Joe Carson called Dancing with Gaia. And Joe has also written a book called Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. And it's out in a new expanded second edition. Uh, Feriferia calls itself a love culture for wilderness. It connects you to the fairy spirits of the land, the stars, um, and uh, tries to create sanctuaries or uh, paradises uh, all over the earth. It's rooted in ancient Crete, the Eleusin mysteries, uh, the megalithic traditions, the troubadour practices, and it celebrates goddess as the merry maiden called Kore. Uh, with laughter and play, they say that Corey carries keys to the future. And Jason Mankey um, has a wonderful quote um, about the book. He's been involved with paganism for nearly two decades, and uh, half of that time uh, he spent as a speaker and a writer and a high priest. He said uh, he began wildness reluctantly, but within 15 minutes he was all in and found himself absolutely entranced by its pages. Some of that is no doubt due to the beautiful artwork of Fred Adams that just jumps off the page. 
why aren't all the images in this book available as fine quality prints to hang around my ritual space? Jason asks. Uh, but he says this book is more than the art. It's wonderfully written and really serves as a comprehensive how-to on Ferifaria. There's a lot of great history as well, uh, but it's the doing and the philosophies that grabbed his attention. He was worried Ferifaria might be remote and hard to understand, or maybe it was a dated philosophy, but he happily admits he was wrong. He found so much of his own belief within the pages of uh, Wildness that uh, he's actively planning to incorporate some of it into his own coven work. So, uh, Celebrate Wildness is a hardcover book printed on heavy paper with images of the goddess, uh, her symbols, her uh, di- and, you know, there's lots of diagrams and photos on every page, and it would make a great uh, gift for yourself or for someone uh, whose occasion might be coming up. And uh, it's available from the Ferifaria website, which is at f-e-r-a-f-e-r-i-a dot com. And uh, I hope you will uh, remember uh, me as a speaker. Uh, That's how uh, I I get most of my speaking gigs, because friends, fans, uh, students like you recommend me uh, for an upcoming event. Uh, I can speak on a lot of topics like women's issues, social justice, partnership, uh, living a goddess-inspired life, uh, the art of pilgrimage, or sacred sites of the goddess, Um, Divine Feminine for a Sustainable Future, lots of different stuff like that. And I hope you're enjoying my uh, audiobook series on YouTube, which is totally free. And if you haven't heard about that before, when you go to YouTube, you can simply search Goddess Calling Audiobook Series, and it will bring you there. So um, if you're uh, feeling the burn, If you're putting your energy in helping Bernie Sanders win like I am, well, amp it up because March is an important month as states across the country come out and vote. So please donate, volunteer, phone bank, vote, and bring your friends. And to the naysayers who say Bernie isn't a good idea, I remind you about the mission statement of this show in the words of Gandhi. When your friends say it's impossible, he can't get elected, remember what Gandhi said just like with goddess spirituality. You know, I wouldn't be doing goddess spirituality if, uh, you know, I, I was afraid to be, if I, if I was afraid to be a trailblazer. Anyway, Gandhi says, you know, about most new things, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And you know what? They've stopped laughing at Bernie Sanders. They're fighting Bernie Sanders now, and I think pretty soon we're going to win. Or as author Schopenhauer, the philosopher, said, you know, uh, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Yep, Bernie's been ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. Yep, they've been trying to scare you. He's being opposed. But third, it's accepted for being self-evident. Yes, it is self-evident. We need the revolution. (laughs) Well, um, I think that uh, that's all I'll say for tonight. Uh, it's 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 wonderful to be living in the revolution, in the evolution. Uh, you know, Starhawk and uh, Carol Christ, uh, too, are taking a little bit of heat for their support of Bernie. But 
but I saw, you know, we've been fighting the establishment as goddess advocates, you know, and feminists for decades. Does it make any sense to vote for the establishment and miss this incredible opportunity to change the world and just settle for the tinkering around the edges of incremental change? You know, I think I made a tougher stop than that, and it's Bernie or bust for me. I can wait for Elizabeth Warren to be the first president in the White House. So good night, dear listeners, and remember the words of Thomas Paine. We have it in our power to make the world over again, and we will. I say I will. I'll take the ride. Cause I'd rather have connection, pleasure, and pain than be alone here with my pride. Okay, I'll take my shot. This time I'll take my chance. Cause that's all I'll have left. If I 